Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Well, welcome to the next season of Studio. And that was one of the most interesting. I don't even know what to call that. That was that is the 10:07 a.m. response. Okay. No, seriously, welcome to the next season of Studio. You know, this past week, I went back to a place that I was born and raised and grew up. Got back Friday, and uh, it was a place I went to school. It's a place where I fell in love with the outdoors. It's a place where I went from being a boy to a man. It's a place where my wife and I, in the general northern part of California, we met, got married. It's the place where our two daughters were born. It was also a place where I was on staff for 18 years, and we thought we were going to spend the rest of our life until we were not. It was a week full of reference points. It was a week full of different reference points in my own life that go back 47 years. You know, our brain is this incredible piece of gray matter. I shared a couple of weeks ago, I think if God has has a Louvre, if he has an art gallery to display his best creations, I actually think a brain would be on a pedestal in the middle of the room. And all the stuff he's created in all of the universe, the way that he created the brain is, is, really, is really phenomenal. There are supercomputers in the world right now that can generate the calculation that our brain can make, but the power that's needed to power those supercomputers is enough power to power small cities. And yet God creates a brain that takes as little energy as a small light bulb to function. It's one of the most efficient, one of the most dynamic pieces of one of his creations is the human brain. And the human brain is, is, is taking in all this information that is around us, that is passing by us, And it's also taking in all this information that is passing through us. It is is tasked of trying to add words where words are missing. It's putting comma in places where commas need to be. It's it's finishing sentences. And it's deciding when the next paragraph begins. And the brain is also integral in deciding when your next chapter begins. Or if you're actually just rereading the same chapter over and over again. The brain is a pretty phenomenal thing. And have you noticed when you're flying at 40,000 feet and you look down and you see the ground, but you really visually can't tell how fast you're going because the ground is moving so slow. And if you look straight out the window and all you see is blue sky, there's not a cloud in the sky, you actually don't look like you're moving at all. The brain is trying to understand the world that it lives in, and and without a reference point, you can't tell if you're moving. You actually cannot tell if you're moving at all. 
This is why when you drive in an open desert, it feels like you're going nowhere. When there's nothing on the side of the road, just flat, as flat as can be, and it feels like, are we ever going to get there? Children always ask, when are we going to get there? But adults ask, when you drive in a desert, when are we going to get there? Because there's no reference point. There's hard to tell if you're moving at all and if you're actually gaining ground in this journey. But the experience is different. You can go the same speed, same car, same music, same everything, and you can drive through a forest. But it's a completely different experience because now you've got trees passing by. Now you have a reference point of how fast you actually are going because of reference points. So as you're traveling through forests, as you're traveling through cities and neighborhoods, you have buildings and trees passing by and your brain is going, okay, I'm actually going somewhere. So without a reference point, you can't tell you're moving, but it's not just the reference point. It's your proximity to the reference point. The farther you are away from a reference point, the slower you feel like you're going. And in some cases, you don't feel like you're moving at all. But when you're up front and close to a reference point, your proximity is close, then guess what? You actually start getting a better idea of how fast you're going or if you're actually moving. This past week was full of reference points. But how do you know if you're actually moving when it's not externally, it's internally? How do you know you're actually going somewhere on the internal reality of who we are as humans? Because that's a different space. That's a different reality. There's different measuring sticks. There's different reference points. There's different ways of determining or indicating that you're actually going somewhere in life. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. You have your app or you have your, an actual Bible. Go ahead and open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. You know, when we set out to build studio when we set out to do this thing that we're approaching our two-year mark, and today does feel like uh, the next season, we're starting another season. There are some other things that are happening in the environment that are clearly indicating we're moving into a new space. And when we set out to do studio, the, the whole idea was to create a space, and not just a physical location, but to, in our lives would be a space where God and, God and us meet. And it's been pure joy to see the last couple of years alone, numerous ones of you, and people have entered into our lives, into our homes, into our own personal spaces, and have entered into this space that we call Taylor's Mill, Bay 3, Bay 2, 3, and 4. 
in our new offices, we have this back room and it's, I don't know what it is, but we seem to gravitate towards long rectangle rooms with poles right down the middle. It's it's the most inefficient room structure for gatherings. And our new offices have a room that's basically a mini version of this. And Jason Dalswell said, that's Bay 5. So it's sticking right now. Unless we change it, it's just going to be called Bay 5 for the rest of our lives. But we, we started this idea of a place where God and people meet. So beautiful things could happen and beautiful things are created. That was, that was the lens we were looking through. That was the perspective. That was the cultural narrative that we wanted to build a culture around. And there's so many other subtext to that. There's so many other sub-ideas to that. But that was the dominant idea, a place where God and people meet. So beautiful things can happen and beautiful things can be created. It's what we set out to do. And I don't know if you've noticed, but studio is inspiring a lot of people around the world. And if you're not able to get out and experience it, all I can tell you is I keep hearing over and over people come in here that are local in the area and other people travel from all over the world and others are watching us from a distance. And what's even interesting to me is the word studio is popping up in church environments more and more than I've ever seen before. I'm like, oh, where'd you get that idea? Where'd you get that idea? What do they say? Uh, Imitation is the highest form of flattery. You see, the idea of studio, and I love when people say, why did you call it studio? My first response, because it's an awesome word. I mean, it's just a great word. And you know you've arrived in life when you can, you can only go by one word. You know you've made it. I mean, it, it, it's worked for Bono. A Madonna. Picasso. Michelangelo. And so I'm just proud of our name. I'm proud of, of the name that we have. But there are things that we're doing that are only literally two years old that really are laying a foundation. And today I want to reflect just for a little bit on the foundation, but also to help you understand the next. If you don't understand now, it's hard to grasp the next. And it's been a fascinating journey with, with each of you that I've interacted with and even collectively as a whole for the last couple of years, just the own journey, our own expectations of attaching our idea of what it should look like, what we want from it. And that's just a normal human thing is, I mean, we all have expectations. We just do. And the one that always cracks me up is I expect to have my chair every week. That one continues to blow my mind. And when we don't have our chair, whoo. It's a conversation to be had. But this is what we do. We're human. We love routine. We love rhythm. We love, we love the same. And, and there's a part of it that's beautiful. And then there's a part of it actually can be the very thing that causes us to not actually go to the next. And today I want to, I want to talk a little bit on a very, very horizontal level with you in regards to who we are, what we are, and where we're going. The concept of the home for humanity it is a fascinating concept that we've been wrestling with for a couple of years, essentially. And instead of moving away from humanity, like how do we move towards humanity? Instead of moving away from culture, how do we move towards culture? Instead of creating more chasms and gaps, instead of creating a castle with a moat around it so it's nearly impossible to come into our space. And I don't mean just a physical location, but in our lives. And we get to determine when the drawbridge gets put down. So, okay, now we can handle you. 
How do we move away from that and be in the center of a city, sometimes metaphorically and sometimes literally? How do we be in the center of humanity where there is no moat, there is no wall, there is no line? Could I look at the life of Jesus and I'm so deeply inspired, he's forever ruined my perspective of humanity. In fact, he's given me an elevated view of how we should interact with all of humanity. He taught us how to interact with, with the most broken, impoverished, sick people in humanity that are just hurting physically, emotionally. And he also taught us to, how do we interact with the most, what we would call the elite of society, the most financially set for life, the most educated, the most intelligent, the, most, the people that had privilege to access the training and the thing necessary to put them in that space in life. And he's also taught us how to interact with everyone on every political spectrum and every economic spectrum and every social spectrum. Jesus is the epitome of what it means to move towards humanity. So this idea isn't just to create a space on Sunday. This is a part of it, but this isn't the entirety of it. So this concept of home for humanity is something that burns deep within us. And it's been fun. It's, uh, it's really good on paper. It's really easy on paper. Let's put it that way. I mean, it looks great on a t-shirt. It, it looks great on a website. But to actually see the rubber meet the road on that, it's complex. Because you actually don't realize how many things you built up in your own life that actually don't allow that or facilitate that to happen. You actually begin to get confronted with this reality that there's a certain way of thinking that my first reaction is to separate. There, there's a certain way of life that I've created around me that I love. I've fallen in love with it. But when I start moving towards humanity, it means I have to let go of some things. So it looked great on paper. It looked great in talking about it. I can't tell you how many conversations, and I love every one of them, even the ones that keep me up all night. Thank you for some of you. <laughs> but it challenges me, and I love the tension in this. But I've talked to so many people that aren't a part of this community that are inspired by what we are creating and building, at least what we set out to do. We won't know the true fruit for another 20, 30 years. We will see fruit along the way, but I guarantee you it takes a couple decades to see what we're actually doing today. But I've talked to so many people, and they're like, man, I'm so inspired by what you guys are doing. I said, yeah, it, it looks great from a distance. And it is, but it requires a lot. Like, it's costly. It's costly because you have to let go of construction frameworks that got you to this point in life, but it won't get you any farther. So this whole thing for Home Through Humanity is something that we, we burn deeply for. It was, it was roughly a year ago. Candace and I were sitting with a group of leaders here. And I posed two questions. And these were the two questions I posed. I said, are we building a culture of reaching humanity for Jesus? Or are we creating a culture of welcoming ourselves? And I just let the question hang. And... Man, you could cut the air with a knife. I mean, the tension in the room was there. Some people are like, froze. 
Others look down like, mm, I wonder what's going on today. It just kind of, I think someone went to the bathroom too. They're like, oh, I can't handle this. I got to go to the bathroom now. It was palpable. The air got thick instantly. I even got a little sweaty. I'm like, oh no. This is more tense than I was prepared for emotionally, mentally, and even physiologically. And I just let it hang there for a second. And I think it was a beautiful and a really complex moment because it confronts some things in us. And I probably should add three or four more questions to not make it just two options. Because, But for the sake of the context, it, it just reveals something that we have to find a space where we don't want to explore. And it was a lively conversation. I mean, there was lots of passion. There was lots of heart, lots of deep concerns. And there was lots of like, yes, let's do this. I mean, it was all of them within the room. And we were just navigating this conversation and giving space for people to speak up and share their heart and their concerns and why they're excited about this, why they're nervous. I mean, just all the above. And it went for, I think, 30, maybe 40 minutes, somewhere in there. And, and by the end, I could feel my... Uh, my tank was getting low, like, okay, this took a lot more out, and I think that represents what the room felt like that night. And so we found a way to land the conversation. It wasn't abrupt. We just landed it and said, hey, this is the journey we've decided to set on, and we're looking for people that say yes to this. And we have to be willing that it's not going to work out perfectly, but we're going to do our very best. We're going to engage in things that may be more challenging to engage with. But if we're willing to do this as a collective unit and learn to hold things in tension, we're going to build something beautiful. So we ended the meeting, and, and it was assuring because everyone that was there, most people stayed for another 30 minutes to an hour, just hanging out, talking. And it was a really beautiful evening, and that was helpful. And I remember when everybody left, I looked at Candace, and I said, we can build a future with this team right here. You see, what we're doing is, is beneath the surface. You know, success for me is, is when a community is willing to live in the tension of those two questions. And there's other questions, but just for today, those two questions. For some reason, I'm comfortable in paradox. And I realize that's not everybody's preference. But I want to invite you into it. I, I'm comfortable, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable of living in the space in between where we don't gravitate towards one or the other. We actually learn to hold things in tension and paradox and we're willing to explore. And part of it comes to the reality of, you have to look at your faith. Is your faith a destination or is it a pilgrimage? And one of the challenges we have as Jesus followers, we, we want everything to be defined and destination. We've arrived. We've made it. And I want to tell you that that's not how it works. Paul even emphasizes this over and over. He says, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. If the apostle Paul had to figure that out, I think we should give ourselves a little bit more space and freedom and permission to actually, this is a journey. We are journeying through life. We're learning things that we've never learned before. And if we don't hold things in tension, then physiologically your brain will become so rigid it doesn't know how to accept change. Emotionally, you protect your emotion because you don't want to experience an emotion you've been worked yourself out of. 
mentally. You build mental framework. We build mental framework to define everything in existence so no one can touch it. The challenge is you'll be stuck in an era the rest of your life while the world is moving forward. And I would propose Jesus is moving forward. It would be so much easier if we just picked one of those questions and built a culture around that. It would be so much easier. You know, we're only going to focus on building a culture for us. Man, that's easy. Let's do it. Let's just run. Let's do that thing. Or it would be so much easier if we built a culture that would only about reaching humanity. But we've chosen to do both amongst other questions. And being a part of studio is saying yes to that paradox, that yes to that tension. And somehow in the midst of all of it, your own walk with God will go deeper, will go wider. It won't stay shallow. It will actually go into spaces that you actually long for, but you didn't know that paradox and tension is sometimes the vehicle to get you to the deeper places with God. So let's go back to that scripture that we just read in 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's have a few minutes here, so give me some grace. It's our first Sunday morning, and it felt significant on so many levels. The first verse, it said, And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Why don't you make a note that the sons of the prophet, they were being trained by Elisha. Essentially, when you look at the context, it was actually a school of some format where they were actually being trained by him. And I love how they went to him and said, this is too small for us. There was an ownership by the students. There was an ownership by the sons of the prophet. We've got to expand. We've got to go. We've got to do something more because right now this is too small. They determined somehow that the canvas they were painting on, they've run out of room. And I want you to ask yourself today, this morning, is your canvas too full? Is your canvas full of paint? Maybe you need a bigger canvas now to pull you into spaces as a human that you've not been stretched to. I will always be doing my part to challenge you to move into the future. It's one of the, the missions and mandates of my life to challenge humanity and challenge people that say yes to Jesus to move into the future. This is just something that I will continually talk about. So if I violate, offend, or bother you, once you get over that emotion, just listen deeper to what I'm trying to do. Don't get stuck in that emotion. That is just an emotional response. I have them too. But work through that emotion and then get down to what is it. And it's fascinating that we serve a God that created the universe. Everything's expanding at a rate that we call the speed of light. So this God is constantly creating, but yet we want to land somewhere and just call it good. But I have, I'm so convinced that when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to constant change, constant elevation, constant metamorphosis. He, you are saying yes to that. You're not saying to arriving somewhere. You're saying yes to entering into spaces that you didn't know existed. This is why Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, and he got up and left. He didn't stay in Matthew's life. He didn't stay in his office and say, I'm adding myself to your life. He said, you have to leave your life to follow me. Go to verse 2. Please let us go to the Jordan. Let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. 
What I want you to pull out of this is they found material they had access to expand. And one of the things that we set out to do here is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't define things too hard up front. Because sometimes you can go into a space in life or for, in geographical, I mean, it's so many different contexts for each of us, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Well, the problem is if you don't know the material necessary to build that, you're, you're not going to be able to build what you want to build. So sometimes you actually have to decide what material is available. Metaphorically speaking, if I want to build a wood building, but there's no wood available, then that is just a wishful dream. But if I want to build a building and let God bring the material, and let's say it's concrete, let's say brick, okay, now we can build. So some of it is actually understanding what do you have access to in your own life? What material do you have? What experiences in your life have happened that actually now is material to actually build with? Every painful experience will turn into some form of material to build your future. Everything in your life, nothing goes to waste. So find out what you have access to, what is in front of you, what is the material do you identify to determine what you want to build? Let's go to verse 3. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. But as one was cutting down the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron flow. This is one of those weird little Bible stories. It's like, why did they record this? I mean, okay, the, iron, the axe fell in the river, and, but why is it in here? It's just this most peculiar little story that seemed to be out of place. A couple backdrop things is iron was not something that was available. It was hard to find iron. So this was a valuable axe, let's put it that way, really valuable. Not only was it valuable, it was borrowed. And it fell into the river. And I love that they go to Elisha and say, I've dropped the axe in the river. And Elisha does this interesting thing. He just takes the stick, throws it in the river, and this piece of metal floats. So obviously there's some violation of the natural laws going on here. This is, this is not possible. So what's the point? It's what we call a miracle. What I want to share with you today is that as you're expanding, expect miracles. Expect miracles to happen in your life. There are times where you can't actually do what you want to do. A miracle has to take place. So I want to stir up some expectation in your own life. Like expect miracles to take place as you're expanding. As you're building, as you're saying, my canvas is too small, I need a bigger canvas. You cannot build a canvas only on what you think you can do. You should build a canvas on what God has put on your life and expect miracles. So I want to challenge you, expect miracles in your life. For some of you, it's sheer financial miracle. For some of you, it's relational. For some of you, it's actually you need healing in your emotions, in your brain to actually step into a new season of life. But you should expect miracles. And I love the last verse, verse 7. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached his hand out and took it. I love how the prophet didn't grab it. He told him, you pick it up. So there's a participation in the miracle. So get ready to participate in miracles that will happen in your life. 
If you don't want that, I'll take yours. <laughs> so a tool that was used to expand was lost, was, that was lost was now restored. Kenneth and I were just in Sydney. I'm going to land the plane here in just a second. Kenneth and I were just in Sydney a month ago, and we did an event down there with some friends of ours. And a friend came up to us and shared some things that God had showed him about Kenneth and I, but it was really about studio. And he said a lot of wonderful things, but the thing I want to bring into this context, he said, it's now time. And he said, the next 18 to 24 months is going to eclipse the last 18 to 24 months. So it's clear as day to me that we're in the next. We're moving into the next space. And some of you, as you've wrestled with moving to morning gathering, I just have news for you. It's actually connected to something much bigger than we might realize. Without a doubt. And this last week, I had a lot of reference points. I had a lot of reminders of the first 44 years of my life. And I also realized I am not that guy anymore. You see, I've been flying in a plane, looking out the window going, have I changed? I don't know. I can't tell if I'm moving or not. I, I don't know. The blue sky's there. The ground's moving really slow. I can't really see the detail. And then I got really close to reference point. The proximity this last week for six days was right there in my face. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have moved in such a different space. It was, it was deeply encouraging and also with a great reminder that it's actually a choice. So I want to challenge you. If nothing's moving in your life, maybe you've stopped moving. If nothing is actually changing in your life, maybe it's because you've settled. And I want to challenge you. Find those reference points and you'll find out quickly, yeah, you've stayed in one spot or no, you actually are moving. So how do you know when you have changed internally? How do you know, not just on the outside, but internally you're actually moving somewhere? There's a lot of things, but I'm going to end on this. And when you actually embrace change, you work through whatever you need to work through. You navigate what you need to navigate. You assess what needs to be assessed. But at the end of the day, you embrace what the change is telling you how to grow up and how to move forward and how to expand. When you start to recognize, like, I am willing to embrace a future that I don't know actually exists, I want to say to you, that's when you know you're internally moving. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.